Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Trick Talks. My name is Barbara Lally and today we are here with Lauren. How are you today? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be able to, you know, talk with you here. Are you ready to get started? Yes, I'm super happy too. Let's do it. Perfect. All right, so you have skin picking, right? Dermatillomania. Can you give us a little bit of background on you? When did you first start? When did, um, you know, where did you pick from? Things like that. Sure. Yeah. So um, my skin picking really started at a super young age. Um, there's pictures of me uh, in swimsuits with a bunch of other girls when I'm about five years old. And you can see on my body that it's just kind of poking at it in these red little marks. And yes, they'd be bug bites or maybe a, you know, abrasion from falling down or something. But the difference was that I'd pick that pick them open and continuously pick them open and those scabs would be sores that would last from summertime uh through christmas and um it was kind of uh the first time that um even my parents were like oh there's something um different here there's something going on here um but it really uh carried through all aspects of me growing up and followed me um through um you know the formative years of my life um, and showed up in many different ways, whether I was picking because I had triggers from acne um, around puberty um, or, um, you know, taken and put on and then put on um, acne meds uh, when I wasn't necessarily in need of acne meds, but I was just having my hands so much on my face from the times I'd be scanning, searching for somewhere to pick. Um, and, and then other misdiagnoses followed me as well, you know, things like self-harming. I remember a school nurse uh, seeing the red rings that had formed around my picked areas and uh, accused me of um, self-harming and then having an infection from self-harming. And of course, I was, you know, incorrect, um, um, but there was no diagnosis at the time. This is all before 2013 when um, skin picking disorder was officially, had officially become diagnosable. Uh, and yeah, you know, it followed me in just lots of other aspects growing up. It continued into college out with um, uh, college counselors. Someone reported that I was using meth uh, based on the appearance of my skin, um, which was uh, also incorrect. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I didn't know how to explain what I was doing. You know, I, I was losing hours to picking at these perceived imperfections, um, but I didn't know how to tell tell that to anyone, how to explain it to doctors um, when they would see me or when they would see me at my worst when I finally had an infection from the area or something. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, it was definitely a huge part of my life growing up, but um, um, I'm happy to uh, be at a stage that I am um, now with the disorder. Mm -hmm. And it must have been, I mean, 2013 is really not that long ago. Um, it must have been extremely isolating to be going through these things and no one in the medical field knows anything. How did you navigate that um, time in your life? Like, who were you able to turn to anyone? You know, um, it really, you said it so well, it really did feel so isolating. Um, and I felt so alone. And uh, like, I was the only one who could possibly be doing this. And um, and of course, now we know how incorrect that is. But but at that time, uh, there wasn't anyone to turn to. There wasn't anyone whose skin uh, looked like mine with these um, lesions and wounds and scars from these wounds divoted, um, peppered across my body. 
and um, I was able to hide it and cover it and appear kind of fine and flourishing almost as a defense mechanism to have to um, not uh, address it. You know, don't ask me too many questions. Don't look too closely. Um, so then I don't have to explain what I don't know how to explain. Mm. Uh, but yeah, there was, uh, you know, medical professionals. I felt, um, you know, it wasn't without trying. My parents did take me around. Uh, it felt lab rat style, you know, looked at by different professionals of fields here, there, psychi uh, psychiatrists, dermatologists, hypnotists, acupuncturists. I mean, you name it. Uh, I was brought to them. Um, and it still just was never um, at, at a point been able to work, work on with me as this is skin picking disorder. So, um, yeah. Now, I, I remember you mentioned that they had you on as sort of acne medication. I know with me, with, with the whole trick aspect, I was kind of on a different cocktail of things. They were like, let's try this. Let's throw in an antipsychotic. Let's throw in this mood stabilizer. Let's throw <laughs> things in. Did they do that with you as well? Or was like the acne medicine just one of the uh, things that they tried to offer you? Yeah, medic medication was definitely part of uh, the process as well, um, as as you know, and um, uh, it a uh, combo of the acne meds, but then um, uh, different psychiatric meds. Um, there were ones for OCD that we were trying um, at at different levels, um, and it you know it's almost seeing what works because there's no written um, uh, uh, treatment or or well. Um, medical medication treatment for us just yet. So um, uh, I think the people around me were trying their best, um, but unfortunately just no one really knew what to do with me and my picking behavior. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I remember when I was you know, being diagnosed and they would ask me questions and all these things, it was like, how, how much is this interfering with your everyday life? And for me, it was a lot. Can you explain to us how, how did it feel having, you know, the skin picking, how did it affect your, your day to day? Yeah. Wow. So, uh, that, that, how does it interfere with your day to day life? I mean, it really was every aspect of my day to day life. Uh, largely it would be on my mind from the moment I woke up, um, you know, check my bed sheets. Did I pick in my sleep? Did I bleed in my bed? Um, did I bleed through pajamas, uh, see if there's anything on my body that's opened, but then in doing that, that might lead to its own picking session. So then I'd be late for work and have to come up with an excuse for why I was late that day. Um, and then, you know, potentially get to work, but I can't get the concealer to stick to the wounds that I've created. So then I have to cancel the plans that I've made in a social engagement after work. So affecting that part of my life. Uh, and then to, um, you know, dating and intimacy and that really being more about hiding and covering up um, myself and my body as opposed to um, opening up and being vulnerable with somebody. Uh, and, uh, yeah, those would be just, just some that I can, um, some examples that I can think of. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of examples. Like that is something where it is really taking over your daily life. Yeah. And yeah. 
you know, and, and it's like taking it over because it's impeding and changing and affecting, um, you know, my identity, who I want to be, how I want to live my life, what I want to do, uh, what I want to wear, what I want to uh, uh, look like and um, act like. And um, yeah, I really feel like it was authoring my story and that I was just kind of on the sidelines um, drifting along with it. Mm -hmm. No, I know that you mentioned, um, you know, being a little kid and you don't know how to express what you're doing. Did you have any friends that maybe you tried to do that with at a young age and say like, you know what, hey, let me confide in you? Or was it something you really tried your best to, to keep secret? Mm. You know, it's one of those things that looking back, I wonder uh, if I had tried to express more with some friends, um, what that might have been like. Uh, so to answer your question, no, I I, I really didn't. I, I was, um, I think, so ashamed um, uh, from what I was doing to myself that I really couldn't bring myself to, you know, utter it out loud, let alone to, um, you know, a, a loved one or a friend or anyone. Um, but uh, now, of course, I know so much of the power in in sharing in in owning something so that it doesn't own you. Um, so it's something I wish I could tell uh, mini Lauren, but um, no, not in the day that was um, unfortunately not my my case. Mm -hmm. When skin picking was diagnosable, like in 2013, it's its own thing now. How did that make you feel? Was that something you knew right in 2013? You're like, oh my gosh, like you were kind of following, trying to figure it out, or was it news to you later? How did that go, finding out, hey, this is its own thing now? Oh, so yes, in, uh, in skin picking becoming diagnosable in 2013, um, I was still struggling at that point and I hadn't uh, yet to find out, but in 2014, um, I was actually hospitalized from picking just in every day, an every day old area, um, you know, uh, just like normal. And at this time I contracted MRSA though. Uh, and it's a life, MRSA is a life taking bacteria. Um, this led to um, a long hospital stay with complications and a talk of possibly losing my uh, right leg. And it was actually there in the hospital where I overheard and, you know, I don't know to this day, but it must have been, um, I think, a nurse or somebody who was um, attending to me in the room. Um, there were lots of clipboards. Uh, and uh, someone said, you know, it looks like she has dermatillomania. And I, my ears perked up and I was, I wanted to know more. I researched it, looked into it. I was like, oh my gosh, that's me. And it felt so empowering to have something to say um, that I had, you know, that that a tangible um, illness to point to. Um, and uh, I wanted to know everything about it and take some medication and be done with it and, you know, move on, of course. And um, of course, that's not the case. But um, it really was there in 2014 in the hospital in finding that out that I, I felt the first um, kind of sense of being armed, uh, armed with something and it, it felt great. <laughs> mm -hmm. Did you have moments where you're picking like, you know, went in and out? Did you have moments of like healing and then you're like, you're noticing you're not picking as often. And then there's other times where it's like, it's all you do all day. I, I've noticed that with my trick, it goes up and down. Have you had a similar experience? 
I definitely can relate to um, my experience with picking or my BFRB being uh, more of an episodic one, right? So kind of these uh, ebbs and flows. And um, it's it's like there's times where I'm so, I don't even want to say it out loud. If there's, you know, nothing to pick and there's nothing there, I'm almost too nervous to, to celebrate that moment because I might jinx it. And uh, then there's times where um, I'm, you know, it my face feels raw and um, it hurts to have, you know, water touch it or or something like that. Um, and I've learned, though, the difference is, is even though that's something that's been happening to me my whole life with picking, it's been kind of coming in waves like that. What now I can, um, I'm able to be a lot more gentle with myself um, in the post picking episodes when they do happen. Um, so, uh, even though they, yes, still come, uh, in, um, fluctuate, but, uh, at least I, I feel like I have a better ability to uh, manage them now. Mm -hmm. When you are in that moment, you know, you're, you're picking, do you feel like it's trance-like? Is it hard to kind of snap yourself out of it? How, how does that go for you? So when I'm picking, I really, I break it down as two um, types of episodes and I call them focused versus scanning. And focused is like, I'm coming home from work. I'm passing that hallway mirror and I see something out of the corner of my eye. Cut to, I'm stuck, sucked in, up close, picking for hours. And I don't even know you know exactly what I'm doing, but it's very focused and intentional. And I'm after accomplishing something. Then there's scanning picking, which is uh, quite different where I'm driving or I'm watching TV or, you know, um, trying to write a paper or work on something. And my hand is just wandering with the mind of its own, looking for something to level. And I'm not telling it what to do. Um, and I don't realize what it's done until I look down and see blood. Mm -hmm. um, and I think having the two different types um, and being able to break them down as two different types is helpful and then creating strategies to manage them. But um, I think for me, I'm a variation of focused and scanning. So I have a little bit of both. And I kind of think all of us BFRBers do, you know, and that, that might be why this is such a complex um, behavior to understand. Mm -hmm. I have a hard time and I had a hard time admitting to myself, like there's a part of me that likes this behavior it comforts me i like the way it feels and it's hard for me to stop because sometimes i'm like you know what i just want to have you ever felt that mm. you know i i have felt something um like that uh the way i I'd, I'd phrase it for myself would be um i've found my picking serving as like think time mm. and um and if I have something to think through and, you know, need to work on in my head, um, it, it was like a soothing mechanism for my hands to start fixing something on my skin. And um, uh, I don't it's not that I I, I liked that moment or um, I am liking it because at times it does kind of hurt, too. You know, I feel mm -hmm. some pain when I do it, too. But um, I liked what it was letting me get done in the in the meantime i think mm -hmm. um, there's also uh i would say maybe my my um another way of explaining would be uh it's not so much when i i pick i feel like i've liked it but i feel like a accomplishment is a big thing for me i feel like mm -hmm. when i 
get something out of the pore or if I get the scab off completely. Um, it's almost like a I won moment. Mm -hmm. And I think I like I like those I like that kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. When you get into your different um, like, you know, your your focus versus your scanning, what are the different strategies that you use for either one of those? Sure, that's a great question. Um, uh, okay, so let's let's take um, focused. Um, for instance, focused would, wouldn't be I, I wouldn't be like try a, a fidget toy because if I'm going to pick something and I'm going to get it done and I'm going to fix that and how I know it needs to get done, grabbing my fidget toy in that moment is not going to suffice. So for focused picking, my strategy suggestions would start with alter your environment. Find that trigger area, one trigger area to work on. We can't take this all on at once, right? So pick one trigger area. Maybe it's your um, bathroom. Alter that environment. How can you shake it up? Can you unscrew a light bulb? Put tape on the floor so that your toes cannot pass the tape so you can't lean in closer. Splash water on the sink so your elbows don't want to get wet and you lean down. Bring a timer in there. Cover the mirror with post-its. Um, run the faucet with water and tell yourself you don't want to waste water. And so you have to get out with before and turn the water off. Uh, there's ways to kind of tweak the environment um, that can be your strategy for focused picking, um, uh, like that stem from altering your environment. With scanning, I would go more um, bring in your other senses. Sometimes uh, when I'm driving um or like a long car ride um i'll incorporate jingly bracelets on my um wrists so that i notice when i'm going to my trigger areas just from an audio cue i've done the same with perfume or um essential oils on my wrists to kind of help me become more aware of where my hands are mm -hmm. um uh, or help them stay in one place rather if i'm using the driving example um, and, uh, blockers are the other one for scanning that are great. So starting off with strategies, like if my trigger area is my chest, let's say, um, okay. Putting a jingle necklace there might be one tip, but, um, also a turtleneck or a scarf or something that's going to act as what you're going to have to work to get under so that when you go there and your hand checks, you can make a choice. I either, could go under or I put it down, but at least it gives you a moment to choose. Mm -hmm. No, those are really great tips. I feel like any, any BFRB or like, that's an amazing, you know, amazing group of tips because the environment thing is huge. I, I never would have thought to like put the water there, but I used to climb up on the sink. So if I had a wet sink. <laughs> but if it was wet, we wouldn't do it, right? <laughs> or we, we'd have a moment of pause. Like, yeah. No, that's really great. Um, I, I have had moments, especially during puberty, when I had more acne, where I found myself engaging in skin picking behavior. And I would, I would have the magnified mirror. I'd look in and I'm like, I knew it was, I went down, you know, the rabbit hole of like, oh no, there's so many things I could do here. And I kind of had to pull myself back out of it. Have you ever had moments where you have maybe like pulled a hair or have like any type of trick symptoms ever? You know, I really appreciate that question, Barbara. And out of a lot of the questions that I've gotten, and I love them all, I've not gotten that question. And um, I, so I thank you for that. Um, that is a that's a great question. 
and it, um, and it's an important one. Um, and uh, you know, my experience, the best way I can answer is um, I haven't pulled a hair, but but I have had um, different uh, scabs in my hairline where um, I noticed I would enjoy if the scab got more um, clumped and hardened and hair follicles dried up in it, mm -hmm. then when I would pick the scab, uh, there was extra uh, stimulation happening from that scab that was ripped than um, an everyday scab. Uh, mm -hmm. So um, maybe that kind of it kind yeah. of answers. Um, that you know but it's it's just very i'm really happy you asked that question thank you thank you no that's great thanks um so let's talk about your foundation i mean you have a nonprofit that is all about this the picking me foundation please tell us all about it what what made you start this when did you start it everything please oh my goodness um well uh yes i run the uh picking me foundation it's the only nonprofit dedicated on dermatillomania um and it's founded by a skin picker for skin picking um founded in 2016 and you know it really started um with me sharing that hospital story i told you about when i almost lost my leg people tend to think that that was really the change, the life-changing moment for me, but it really wasn't that. It was the moments after where I left the hospital, well, it was like two weeks after, but um, left the hospital, um, had a wound vac in my leg on a walker, and someone had, had just said to me, you know, oh, what, what happened? And for the first time I had an answer and I said, I have dermatillomania. And I said, it's a skin picking disorder. And I just shared what little bit I could at the time. And it felt awesome. And I got a taste of it. And I wanted everyone else who had suffered in silence like me to have that same feeling of relief and like something had been lifted. Um, and so I haven't, you know, shut up since it um, just kind of has evolved uh, really from hashtag picking me and others joining the conversation um, and us uh, formalizing as uh, the kind of home um, foundation I had always been looking for, really offering all things skin picking. I mean, we stand for all BFRBs for sure, and all BFRBs are welcome in all of our initiatives. And many people have multiple BFRBs um, that are part of our community. We just really were about raising the awareness on the skin picking skin picking side, um, just to help elevate its um, awareness. But um, but yeah, my favorite initiatives would be um, our support group, uh, which is something I've been running for um, four years now. The past two have been virtual, started with three people in a Zoom room. And now we average 40 every other Tuesday and have been honored to host, um, gosh, about a thousand uh, skin picking support group members um, so far, which is uh, wonderful. And um, there's something, I mean, you know, when you meet someone else who, uh, you know, has the same thoughts that you thought only you thought. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's just, it's life changing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm really all about uh, promoting our support group. We make fidget packs. Um, they keep our hands busy to make them, but they're also full of fidget toys that keep other people's fingers busy and off their bodies. And every time we sell one, we donate one to a dermatologist, a pediatrician, or a sufferer in need. 
and yeah, lots of other social campaigns and um, in-person events and also uh, virtual events. Um, and, you know, anytime we can do things like getting to speak with awesome advocates like you, uh, it's really part of the journey as well. Mm -hmm. I love what you said. You're like, I haven't shut up since like that. <laughs> there is something so in truly, truly empowering about owning something that once you felt like owned you. Um, and I can't thank you enough for all that you do for the BFRB community. And I just want to ask this, you know, what would Minnie Laura say if she knew what you were doing now? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. What would Minnie Laura say? I would say, I think she would be, wow, she would be, um, proud. She would be proud that I am, uh, my authentic self and uh, being the most me I can possible be and um, that I still honor my inner child. I honor that mini Lauren. I think she'd be happy that she still shows up in everything from um, my everyday life of talking about memories, but to the playfulness and whimsy in my branding of, of my company, you know? So I'd like to think that she feels a, um, uh, uh, like she's still part of this uh, and part of this process. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that you, you know, you said I didn't have anyone to look up to. I didn't, you know, didn't have any representation anywhere. You were just like the only one. And now you are the person that people can look up to. Ah. And that's, <laughs> I mean, that is actually incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Um, and it makes me want to start crying, but because <laughs> it's so it's so nice, and I just imagine young you not wanting to tell anyone, not friends, not family, anything, and then now you are so open about it. You're bringing others out of the darkness and into the light, and it's just really fantastic. Oh my goodness! Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that and and for your such such kind words. I appreciate that. Of course. Um, so let's talk about like self care self-love what are some things that you do um do you have like a, a skincare routine to like you know take that extra time to to pamper what is what are your thoughts on that yes you know it's definitely important uh incorporating the mental health and skincare and self-love all the sides uh, all these sides um to this uh team that we're creating for ourselves and um, in that, um, taking on skincare was something I really needed to um, like de uh, deconstruct. I think I was, um, uh, I had every product and tried every product and, um, you know, times two. And um, I really needed to pare back. And in doing so, I learned that incorporating skincare that is hands off or um, touchless. Um, has been helpful in letting me still take care of my skin, but leaving my hands off my skin. Um, so finding products such as, um, you know, using a salve like Aquaphor, but finding it in a spray so that I can spray it on and not have to touch the triggering areas has been helpful. Same goes for um, cleansing wipes. Instead of washing my face with water and soap, 
um, using a cleansing wipe with the barrier of the wipe lets me still cleanse without having to um, get triggered by touching any perceived imperfections. Uh, and I really um, am developing a lot more in that field and actually hope to be offering um, something cool from picking me in the future. So definitely stay tuned uh, if you're interested in learning more with me on how to um, dive into this touchless uh, skincare system. Mm -hmm. That's I never thought about that before to have things that that is really that's great. Yeah, awesome, awesome, cool. Yeah, you know, it it helps and and you know, even I'm um, doing them not in your bathroom. So like bringing those items out on your couch um or or wherever you're mirrorless. For instance, brushing my teeth, that's something I do at my kitchen sink because um there's no mirror. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh just you know, a little changing up some of the beauty and health regimen routines um like that has been helpful. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed, I know we spoke about, you know, changing the environment in the bathroom and things like that. Are there, are there particular areas for you that are more triggering than others? Or is it a mirror thing or the skin? Tell me a little bit about that. Are there special areas? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and we mean environment areas? mainly. Yes. Here? Yes. Yes. Um, you know, I, I think there are, I think there's some that become kind of, I mean, I think we're creatures of habits, us BFRBers, and um, they're even in our um, BFRB, we find routine and uh, maybe like go-to situations or go-to places. Um, and I have places like that where, you know, I, whether it's I know I won't be bothered or there's isolation or um, the lighting's great or, um, so, you know, things like that. There's uh, uh, areas that call to me. Um, do they have a mirror often? Yes. Yes, they do. Um, but, um, you know, the car is definitely something um, to me. I'd, I'd, cons I'd offer to look at other cues in your environment. You know, for a car, I learned it was um, my elbow was always out the wheel and my hand just, yeah, just lines up just right here, mm -hmm. right in this like sweet spot. And, um, you know, so uh, actually for that, wearing um, uh, an elbow guard for rollerblading just helped me be more conscious about where my elbow was. And if my elbow, if I bent my hand to come up here, it was actually harder because of how thick it was. So um, little, little, you know, I think my, if I may, my main tip in general would be just being adaptable, you know, whatever trigger area, if, if it's whatever environment area you're dealing with, um, however you best you can be adaptable to work with it is going to make it most workable. Mm -hmm. And I like that because I feel I have, I call it like my trickster toolkit, but it could be like BFRB box and, you know, anything where you're having all these different ways to, um, you know, distract yourself or, or do a barrier and things like that. Like sometimes it's not, it's not going to work all the time. Right. But it's still great to have it and use it and it might work. Like, you know, it's just, I feel like there's some things I'll use for a few months. It stops working. I use something else. And then a few years later, I'm back to using the same thing and it's given me the results that I want. But I think it's great to have so many options. Yes. Yes, you're so correct. You're so correct. It's having those options and that willingness to 
try them out and to come back because sometimes something might have like really jazzed with us and really like worked for a month or two. And then, you know, that tangle is just really not sufficing anymore. So it goes in a shoebox under the bed, but um, that's not going to do anything. Right. But um, what I found um, maybe with fidgets, if I may, um, my specific tip would be is uh, having them as great, you know, great. Uh, that's a good step, you know, is getting them. But um, you, you got to give them a purpose and give them um, the, an incentive so that they can be as powerful as we need them to be. So give them one home, one job, one, one purpose. Um, my tangle, I always have a tangle that's on my keyboard. Um, so that before I type, before I, whatever I do, I have to pick it up and I start here. I don't sit down and then go here and then go, where's my tangle? Oh, I'm already here anyhow. My hands first had to grab the tangle and now I'm thinking through what I have to think through and maybe they'll still go here. I don't know, but, but at least I had them here first, you know? So it's kind of, um, that's what I see the main aspect of a fidget being. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had moments where you where you thought, you know what, I'm going to try to be pick free, like I'm not doing it anymore. I know I've tried in the past, um, wasn't successful with it. But tell me if you have experienced that. Tell me that about the pressure that you felt if you ever did do that. Yeah, the, I think um, there's I definitely have at times growing up. Um, you know, prop, like sworn and promised and prayed and everything to be pick free. Uh, and, um, you know, probably wished it on endless birthday candles, um, you know, just saying this, I'm to stop this. And um, it really never worked. And it, it took me realizing that pick free never worked for 28 years for me to be like, well, maybe pick less might work. And when pick less, like just, okay, you have four sores on your chest. That one on the left is almost is the closest to heal. Let's see if we can just leave that. You can pick the other three. And when I've had that win of picking less in a moment of a little bit of control over such a controlling disorder, that was that same taste of something I wanted more of. And um, uh, it kind of clicked that, that picking pick free wasn't the answer for me. Um, doesn't mean I didn't try it though, or, um, uh, you know, uh, run into that, um, uh, mindset a lot, but, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like having that conversation with myself as well, like, all right, this disorder has shown it's really not leaving. Like, what are we going to do? Like, do we fight forever? Do we learn to accept it? That kind of like catapulted me into being so open and honest and, and sharing. Was that around the same time when you started to really own it as well, when you had that conversation? Um, yeah, I think, I think that's fair to say. Um, I think it's, it's always been a process. I think there was something that really, uh, clicked in me in that first time, that first experience of it, that um, uh, it just felt so right and so much better than anything I had experienced before that I knew it was my path. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I, I think it's also, it's still a process though. You know, there's still times um, where I realize it's, you know, my, my day job to share my mental illness um, frequently. Um, but sometimes that 
you know, I have to check in with myself too and make sure that I'm, you know, practicing what I preach and putting myself first so that I can be the best um, me that I put out there. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the moment where you first met someone who also had dermatomania. Mm, okay. I, well, the first person I met who also had dermatillomania actually had trick and derma. Um, I had driven from Chicago to St. Louis to attend a support group for trick and derma because uh, there was none near me in the state of Illinois. And uh, I went there and there was this girl there named Maddie and she was uh, bubbly and uh, gregarious and I was so nervous and silent and um, she looked like me. She had marks on her body like me. Um, she, when I remember us sitting on the table around in this round around uh, around table with our arms on the table and us, me just looking back and forth at her arms and my arms and her arms and my arms. And I was like, this is my best friend. And um, just, you know, and she really is a beautiful, beautiful person. And um, uh, kind of introduced me to the uh, BFRB community. So I was very fortunate to find her. Um, I, uh, it did, it was very much later in my life. You know, this is after the leg incident. This is after 25 years of silently suffering. Um, but still, I'm very grateful um, to have met her. Mm -hmm. I love meeting people who have a BFRB because I'm like, you get it. Oh, thank the Lord. Like, this is right. Great. Oh, you're so correct. I mean, they get it. I'm just like, this is my people, right? <laughs> Mm -hmm. And I think it's amazing to, to bring up again, like you said, after 25 years of suffering in silence, I think a lot of times people now, I know I've received messages, I'm sure you too, where it's like, how do I stop or how do I get there? And I'm like, well, I, mine was like 18 years. Like, you know, it's been a long, long journey. I can't, I could try to help you out, but you have to just like live it, unfortunately, like, because it's not overnight. Right. Right. It's that's super true. And, and yes, I can relate to having um, similar messages and, you know, especially the ones that are uh, to, back to what you were saying about just how can I stop? Because they're not even, you know, they're just at the beginning stage, just really wanting to just stop. And what I like to offer or what I um, hope offer some hope uh, is, um, you know, even though I say I'm not pick free and I say I still have picked and um I'm not pick free and uh, the picking hasn't stopped, but the suffering has. So, I, I mean, that's a whole, if I took the suffering out of my child, out of all of that, that'd be a completely different existence with this disorder than with the suffering. So um, it might not sound like the end goal that you're going for at the moment, but, um, but it feels really good. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah, that, that is... Because yeah, we, it's a still an everyday thing, every minute, every hour, like it's still no matter what, but you're right. The suffering is, is no longer. And look how great it feels. Yes. Yes, exactly. What would be some advice you would give someone who wants to be more open about their BFRB? They're a little scared, but they, they ultimately want to reach out to the community and find, and find it. Hmm. 
think if you want to be more open about your BFRB, a good place to start with is, is yourself, you know, like um, being able to uh, kind of like we've said, own it or um, say that you've had it, um, whether you're owning it by starting to follow some BFRB advocates on social media so that BFRB awareness comes up in your feed. Um, and that's a way of you saying, hey, I'm I'm showing up and supporting and embracing this community. Um, that could be one way to kind of get your feet wet. Um, you could, uh, you know, diving in a little more, you could um, look into presenting or offering resources to your office or your school um, or a friend or a family member on, on just what the disorders are like and, and what um, they entail. Um, I'd, I'd say to start with any of this, just start small, you know, to really um, take baby steps. You don't have to jump on a soapbox and join me on Capitol Hill tomorrow, although you are totally welcome. Um, but, uh, it, you know, we're so much louder together. So I would just encourage no matter what, just start. And uh, you, you're going to find your way. If somehow I've figured out this process, you, you will too. I love that. Oh, Lauren, that was beautiful answer. Perfect. No. <laughs> <laughs> so as we wrap up, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want me to ask you or anything you want to share before we end? Oh my gosh. Um, well, it's, I, it's been a pleasure, absolute pleasure um, chatting with you. Um, and uh, the only thing I think I'd um, add in, in wrapping here would be um, uh, just to offer um, for everyone who has experienced a picking episode or if one comes up in your future, um, I encourage you to be gentle with yourself afterwards. Um, this disorder already gets so much of our time and literally can tear us apart. And uh, it doesn't deserve a minute more. Um, and uh, and just remember, you're super not alone. You have a whole BFRB community behind you. And you know what? One more thing. Just to say, it stands to be, I've said it before, but I will say it again. I have never met someone with a BFRB that I don't like. You know, they, I swear to gosh, our community is just the coolest, uh, most thoughtful, empathetic, sensitive, slightly perfectionistic, wear our hearts on our sleeves, we'll get it done and get it done right, um, you know, community. But um, I just, it's, it's pretty wonderful to be surrounded by people that you actually, um, uh, that are great people and that you actually like. So um, yeah, we're a good community. Yeah, I, I would agree. I I love being a part of it. I really do. I really Aww. do. Um, so tell us where to find where to find the foundation, where to find you, Instagrams, websites. Yes, 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 yes. So I would love to stay in touch and anyone please reach out anytime for any reason. Um, I am findable at um, pickingme.org is our website to get involved, um, to join the mission, to join events or support group. You can also reach me on socials at Lauren McKinney um, or at Picking Me FDN. Uh, and you know, if I would say best next step is probably joining our email newsletter. Um, we're pretty, um, you know, regular in getting it out with news and updates in the BFRB community. So uh, if I had a best next step for you, it would be that suggestion. 
Perfect. Well, thank you again so much for talking with me for everything that you do. And I can't wait to talk to you again. Awesome. Thank you, Barbara. Right back at you. I love you and all that you do too. Okay. Thank you. Love you too. All right. Bye.